2: You guys, hi. Endless Thread is still on break, cooking up some exciting stuff for 2021. But if you're in the market for a different podcast to fill that Endless Thread-sized hole in your heart, I have one I think you're gonna love. It's called Decoder Ring. And in each episode, host Willa Paskin takes a cultural question, object or habit, examines its history, and tries to figure out what it means and why it matters. So today, we're going to play you one of their recent episodes. It is called, The Mystery of the Mullet. And yes, it is all about your favorite bad haircut or possibly your favorite epic haircut. Reddit plays a pivotal role in this story as do the Beastie Boys and the Oxford English Dictionary. I hope you'll stick around and listen. The episode is a lot of fun and fair warning, it does contain some explicit language.
3: Lauren Wright is a DJ, and for the last three years, she's had a very particular haircut. You know the one. Business in the front, party in the back. I
4: am the proud owner and wearer of a mullet. So firstly, can you describe what your mullet looks like to me? Like, what nature of mullet is it? It's pretty short and tight on the sides, and I've got some solid length in the back, so it's kind of getting flowy. I think it's more the mullet that makes more people uncomfortable. So, you know, it's a little less feminine. It's definitely curly and luscious, and uh, I don't know, I'm pretty proud of it.
3: <laughs> Lauren first encountered mullets when she was a kid, back in the 90s. So I grew up in Texas, and I remember, I think the first mullet I ever saw in person
4: was in elementary school. My PE teacher, who was a woman, Um, She was the head coach. She had this like long, epic, curly mullet. And she had a really thick country accent. And she was always chewing gum, gold hoops, just like strong gay woman, which I didn't really know at the time. At least twice a week, she'd say, everybody line up. And we'd get on the line. And she would throw on Billy Ray Cyrus' Achy Breaky Heart. And we would... She teaches different line dances. My heart, my so it was kind of like this double mullet experience with you know this like strong woman with a mullet who everyone respects is having us line up and dance to this country star with
3: another epic mullet. These were the waning glory days of the mullet, a hairstyle that was once the it-do not only of country stars and lesbians, but of rock stars, hockey players, soccer players, TV characters, school-age boys across the country, and people all over the world. From such heights, the mullet could only fall. And it felt far. By the end of the 1990s, it had become dramatically uncool, loathed even, considered to be uniquely unattractive, trashy, and low class. You can see this in the 2001 comedy Joe Dirt, in which David Spade plays a sweet, beleaguered loser whose most distinctive quality is his incredible mullet. He's constantly teased about it, as by this radio shock doc, played by Dennis Miller.
2: Hey, Xander, Xander, you gotta see this guy. God almighty, manna from inbred heaven.
5: Hey, freak boy, 1976 called, it wants its hairstyle back.
3: This sentiment that the mullet is particularly classless, outmoded, and hideous is still the dominant one, which is exactly what the subcultures that have sporadically embraced the mullet over the last two decades, electropunk kids, self-aware rednecks, high-end fashionistas, queer people, like about it. The way it thumbs its nose at mainstream respectability.
5: You know,
4: the mullet has been deemed, like, traditionally very unattractive and ugly. And so, you know, as someone who doesn't, necessarily fit into traditional norms of beauty. This, I identify very much so with
3: this haircut. It feels very powerful. The mullet is this potent, versatile cultural signifier that conveys more now, almost 50 years into its existence, than it did when it was totally ubiquitous. And you know what? That's not even the craziest thing about it. Were you calling them mullets? Do you remember?
4: No, I don't think that I was. I feel like I was too young to kind
3: of remember like the big 80s mullet style. What have I told you um, that the word mullet didn't exist until
4: 1994? Uh, I, it would be surprising for sure because I would think that I would think maybe in the 70s like leading into the 80s but are, are you just saying that we, ha- we didn't have a word for it? It just was existing out here with no label?
3: This is Decodering, a show about cracking cultural mysteries. I'm Willa Paskin. You may think the mullet is just an unfortunate haircut, but let me tell you, it is so much more than that. And in this episode, we're going to prove it, not just by following the story of the mullet as a hairstyle, but by following the story of the word mullet to figure out how a name helped transform an omnipresent do into a national joke and altered our cultural memory in the process. So, today, on Decodering, what I swear turns out to be a tonsorial mystery, an aesthetic mystery, a lexical mystery, a chronological mystery, and maybe even an existential mystery. Who named the mullet? I want to start at the beginning, not of the mullet, but of my interest in the mullet, which was sparked by an email from a listener with the
6: subject line, the mystery of the mullet. My name is Oscar Sigvidsson. Uh I'm a software developer and I live in uh, Stockholm. Oscar is really interested in language and linguistics. So I subscribe to all these like weird linguistics and lexicography blogs and things like that. And one of the blogs I was I'm, I am subscribed to, is the Oxford English Dictionary's public appeals blog, where the Oxford English Dictionary, like, puts out appeals to the public for, like, oh, we're researching this word and we've hit a wall. And, and so in 2013, they put out this blog post about the word mullet. In this public
3: appeal, the Oxford English Dictionary, the OED, said they couldn't find a documented reference
6: to the mullet as a hairstyle prior to 1994. Which I was very surprised to read, because 1994, like that's so late. Like mullets are the eight, like the most 80s thing you can imagine. Like there's nothing more emblematic of the 80s than a mullet. But you telling like, but nobody used that word in the entire decade. Like nobody. Like, it can't be, like, it's so weird. And it is so weird.
3: In the popular imagination, mullets are as 80s as shoulder pads, dynasty, Ronald Reagan, junk bonds, and breakdancing. The two are totally intertwined. And to explain why, I have to go back to the other beginning, the beginning of the mullet itself. Despite its connection to the 1980s, the modern mullet was not actually birthed in that decade. It was first popularized in the early 1970s by David
5: Bowie.
3: In her memoir, Backstage Passes, Angie Bowie, Bowie's wife at the time, recalls that while David was working on his album, The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars, for which he would inhabit the character of Ziggy Stardust, an omnisexual, glam space alien, he woke up one morning wanting a new haircut. It was Christmas week. And the hairstylist who regularly did Bowie's mom's hair paid a house call. This stylist, Susie Ronson, nay Fussy, told the story of what happened next as a storyteller at The Moth.
4: David and Angie were sitting by a large bay window, and they were discussing the merits of cutting his hair short. He had this long, blonde, wavy hair at the time. They asked me my opinion. I said, well, you know, no one else has got short hair. You know, nobody you would look really different.
3: Bowie showed Susie a magazine photo of a Kansai Yamamoto model. Kansai Yamamoto was a Japanese designer, one of the first to show his work in London, who would in the next few years begin a long, creative collaboration with Bowie.
4: Can you do that? Well, as I'm saying yes, I'm thinking to myself, it's a woman's hairstyle. And how am I going to actually do that?
3: The answer was some scissors, Schwarzkopf Red Red Hot Hair Dye, and Guard, an anti-dandruff treatment that made Bowie's hair stand up in the front. When Susie was done, Bowie had the famous ziggy haircut, bright red, long and flipped out at the back, and short and bristling in the front. It was the perfect haircut for the extraterrestrial Ziggy, who was not exactly male or female, because the mullet was genderless too. It's easy to lose sight of this now that the mullet has become so associated with a performative, aggressive machismo, but it's a haircut that's long and short, male and female, both and neither at the same time. The fact that it's not entirely straight, also in the sense of not being square, is what makes it cool. But as the mullet became more and more popular, its essential androgyny faded into the background. And that's because the people carrying water for the mullet in the 70s and early 80s weren't just mullet-having performers like Joan Jett, Paul McCartney, Bono, and Prince. They were hockey players. To illustrate how the mullet crossed over from rock stars to athletes and regular people getting bigger all the while... I want to highlight two figures in particular. The first is the hockey player Ron Duguay.
0: Ron Duguay awarded a penalty shot, and here he comes.
3: Duguay, a handsome Canadian who was married to a model, played in the NHL from 1979 to 1989 and is widely credited with having one of the earliest mullets in the league. You can see it in a 1979 commercial he appeared in with three of his teammates for Vidal Sassoon jeans. In this ad the four players strut around the ice in jerseys and dungarees. Of the four Dugay is the only one to have a mullet but it's relatively understated. His sandy curly hair is definitely longer in the back but not wildly so. It looks windswept and kind of sophisticated. It's a casually cool haircut. I mean even Vidal so soon thought so. No wonder kids across the country wanted one.
2: Yeah.
3: As the hairstyle caught on with the public, so did ad hoc names for it. We didn't call it mullets. We called it hockey hair. John Warner is a writer and market researcher who grew up in the Chicago suburbs. He was in high school in the mid to late 1980s, and he played on the hockey team. Just about every member of his team, himself included, had hockey hair, though they called it something more specific.
2: We called it the Duguay, named after Ron Duguet, because he had such a good flow.
3: You called it flow? Like it was
2: called know. the flow, like how's your flow? If somebody came in it was looking like long and good, flapping behind the helmet, you say, oh, good flow. It was just like, it was what you did. And guys permed it. I mean, they got perms of only their, only their flow. Guys like walking into the locker room for practice after the perm and you could smell it. You didn't make fun of them. It was like, oh, that's cool. You know, he 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 permed it.
3: As you can tell from the perms, as the 80s wore on, the mullet was getting increasingly elaborate. By the end of the decade, it was huge as a trend, but also just physically huge. Please see Yaromir Jager.
2: I came here 1990 and I had the longest hair in NHL, uh, but Don't forget, people, in 1990, there was a style.
3: That's Jager, the legendary Czech who would play in the NHL for 28 seasons, talking to ESPN in 2016. When he first came into the league as an apple-cheeked 18-year-old, he had an Eastern European statement mullet, this mop of dark chestnut hair that cascaded down his back in a curly bouffant. It's like the mullet a prince in a Disney movie would have if they had mullets. Well-conditioned, luxurious Somehow sparkly, and Jager's hairstyle, which he kept for his first nine seasons in the league, wasn't the only one of its kind, though it may be best in class.
2: I came to US, you know, first city. But it was Motley Crue and Def Leppard and Bon Jovi, so they all had a long hair. So I want to be a rock star like them.
3: It wasn't just the hair metal bands rocking audacious mullets. This is the time of Andre Agassi, Lionel Richie, Michael Bolton. And one thing I want to underscore is that these attention-grabbing mullets didn't just end with the 1980s. So many of the canonical mullets, Jaggers, Billy Ray Cyrus's, Jean-Claude Van Damme's, are not 80s mullets at all. They're 1990s mullets. When it comes to mullets, we're suffering from a kind of distortion, one familiar from the TV show Mad Men. That series begins in the early 1960s, which looks so much more like the 1950s than what we think of as the 60s. The aesthetics we assign to decades often start mid-decade and then run into the next one. But we tend to erase this decades straddling in favor of a simpler shorthand. But this simplification can actually change how we think about the past. And the mullet is an example of this. The enormous mullet belongs as much to the early 90s, to Lauren Wright's line dancing gym class, as the late 80s, even though we don't remember it that way. This brings us back to Oskar Sigvardsson, the Swede who had been floored to hear the term mullet, might not exist until 1994, which is especially late if you are under the mistaken impression that mullets more or less died out in 1989. Confronted with a claim that seemed so chronologically off, Oscar did what a curious, language-obsessed person might do. He tried to find out for himself.
6: There should be some middle ground where we treat deceased tissues differently than we treat old refrigerators.
0: This is Postmortem, The Stolen Bodies of Harvard, a new season of WBUR's Last Scene. Listen and follow Last Scene wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Okay, so from here on out, we're going to dig into the lexical weeds. But I promise the payoff is worth it. So the Oxford English Dictionary had asked the public for help in finding any reference to the mullet as a hairstyle from before 1994. And Oscar set out to find one.
6: You know, once or twice in the past, I've been able to, you know, find something earlier than the Oxford English Dictionary says it was printed or something. So I started doing that, right? I started just like putting in mullet in Google Books and just saying, okay, between 1980 and 1989, find me all usages of the word. And, you know, (laughs) it's just fish, right? It's all fish, fish, fish. The mullet. A family of fish is eaten all over the world. And it was like, I did it for like hours trying to find it. And, you know, once in a while you can find like reference to the insult, like mullet head. Paul Newman is called mullet head in Cool Hand
4: Luke.
6: He doesn't have a mullet, like he's being called an idiot. There's a clip from Cheers where Sam calls Diana mullet head.
0: Who just ended that sentence with two prepositions.
2: Don't you have customers to deal with?
0: that ended with the preposition
2: too don't you have customers to deal with mullet head
6: (laughs) (laughs) so like that's that's it right you can't actually find it at that point it became like oh this is a fun factor use of parties Less efficient to use in Sweden, though.
3: It's not that efficient in Sweden because in Sweden, as in many of the countries where it was a phenomenon, this hairstyle
6: is not called a mullet. The Swedish word for it is, is hockeyfilla, which means hockey hair.
3: Hockeyfilla was, is a whole thing in Sweden. There's even a well-known 1993 Swedish rock song about it.
6: There was a very big hit from the Swedish group De Lyckliga Kompisarna, which translated as The Happy Friends. Like, it was huge. It was something that everyone knew because it's like a real earworm and it's like funny and it has like the chorus is just a guy singing
3: Anyway, even though it wasn't always a smash with other Swedes, Oscar often shared this mullet factoid. And then in 2015, for no particular reason, he decided to share it on Reddit. Oscar posted his information about mullet to the Today I Learned subreddit, a kind of gathering place for fun tidbits.
6: So I've never had anything on Reddit blow up, but that thing blew up. Like it was on the front page of Reddit for like almost an entire day. Like it was the most fun 24 hours I've ever had on the internet.
3: Just because like everyone like, whoa, and then trying to solve this
6: problem with you? like yeah, Exactly. That, yes, that was my favorite part, right? Because the comments, most many comments were like, this is total horseshit. Like I, I, I was in the 80s. You use mullet all the time.
3: This is exactly what some of the comments on his post sound like. Bullshit. I grew up in Queens, New York City and used the term mullet since way before 1994, one reads. Another goes, I call bullshit. When Achy Breaky Heart came out in 1992, I and everyone I knew in North Dakota was referring to his haircut
6: as a mullet. There was lots of those. But anyway, lots of people started like doing the research and it was so much fun.
3: Even with all these people digging around, though, no one could turn up an earlier reference. But then Oscar's post got cross-posted to an Australian subreddit, where it was framed as like, get a load of this nonsense. And one of the people reading that post, he found something.
6: A user named Topsmate, like. Posted a comment, yeah, that today I learned is so, full of shit. And a perfect example of groupthink. Took me under an hour of browsing through my street machine collection to find this reference to a mullet as a hairstyle from 1991. And uh, yeah, and he posted this image of a magazine that he found in his garage.
3: The image that Topsmate posted is of two pages from an Australian hot rod magazine called Street Machine. They're from a piece about a teenager named Craig Parker who built his own muscle car. The story includes a picture of him sitting on the ground, his back against the grill of a red sports car, in which he has an unmistakable mullet. And then there's an arrow added by Topsmate, pointing to this picture and another arrow pointing to a line in the text of the piece that reads, three years ago, Craig Parker was a mullet haired teenager who wanted to build a car that could rival the best. It seemed to be a piece calling a mullet a mullet in 1991.
6: I remember reading that and like my jaw dropped. Like that was the coolest thing I've ever seen.
3: Oscar immediately replied to Topsmate's comment and said, this is amazing. You should submit this to the OED. This is great work.
6: Part of me was like dismissed that my cool today I learned had been disproven by this Australia guy. But like part of, but the bigger part was so happy that I could like make the, like I had had like a small part in making the contribution to the history of this term.
3: Now, if you're saying to yourself, 1991, that's still so late. That's not even the 1980s. Is this really that big a contribution to the history of the term? Please keep this in mind about slang. Often it's used in spoken language years before it ends up in the documentary record. So in 1991 usage, maybe that does mean the mullet goes back to the late 1980s. And also, this was such a big deal to Oscar because he was just way down the rabbit hole.
6: I had totally internalized this fact, right? like I had done the research and I had like lived with this for two years and I had like just spent hours defending this thesis in the comments. And then then this guy comes and like, no, yeah, I just went out to my garage and found the Holy Grail, essentially what I think of as any pre-1994 references to mullets.
3: Oscar wasn't the only one who would feel this way about the Street Machine article. The Oxford English Dictionary was about to jump back into the picture. So the OED had been on the mullet case way before Oscar.
1: The OED, the Oxford English Dictionary, it covers the whole thousand year history
3: of English. Catherine Connor Martin is the head of product for Oxford Languages, the dictionary division of Oxford University Press, which publishes the OED. And where she began working in 2003 as an editor working on the dictionary.
1: And for every word in the OED, we give... The first known documentary evidence for its use, not just for the word overall, but for every single meaning that the word has.
3: In 2001, the dictionary added the word mullet, or specifically mullet noun nine.
1: It's mullet noun nine because there are eight earlier words called mullet in English each of which has a different etymological
3: origin. But the people at the OED weren't totally satisfied with the etymological portion of the mullet noun 9 entry, because like everybody else, 1994 sounded late to them.
1: There seemed to be a disconnect between the lexical history of the of mullet and the cultural and social history of the, of the mullet. And furthermore, we had anecdotal evidence from people who were sure that they had heard or used that term in the 1980s. And um, as an editor, I myself felt like, well, obviously, we knew this term in the 1980s. So in 2013, we decided to um, launch what we call an appeal to the public um, for further information on this word.
3: The OED has been launching these appeals since it was founded, and now they do that on the internet, hoping that people like Oscar will find something they couldn't. For a few years, though, no one found anything. And then they got a lead. Then in 2015, the plot thickened
1: because someone posted a TIL thing I learned
3: thread on Reddit The OED people don't know Oscar, but Catherine is talking about Oscar. Someone on staff had come across his post, which had been updated with a link to the Street Machine article.
1: That was really exciting. And when we found out about it, we were thrilled. But the OED's policy, because these first dates are so important to us, we really have to verify them. And we typically will, we we want to verify them in print in a library, which is the gold standard.
3: So the OED reached out to a number of Australian libraries and the librarian at the National Library of Australia found a copy of Street Machine from January 1992, which would have come out in late 1991. Catherine read me the email the librarian sent to her.
1: They said, I've checked our copy of Street Machine from January, February, 1992. On page 31, there is some wording that is very similar to the quote you provided, but it doesn't mention the word
3: mullet. Nothing if not persistent, the OED asked several other Australian librarians to track down this article. None of them could find a version of it with the word mullet, but they also couldn't find a January 1992 issue of Street Machine. They could only find a January-February 1992 double issue, which instead of making the whole thing shadier, actually introduced some doubt.
1: Research librarians are the greatest people. And so one of them took it upon themselves to contact the editors of Street Machine magazine themselves. And they also didn't know of a January 1992 issue, but they couldn't say for certain that there might not have been some kind of special early version with limited circulation for a special event that might have had a slightly different text.
3: Street Machine ended up posting about all of this on their Facebook page, and none of their readers could find this mention of the mullet or this January 1992 issue either. All of this sounds pretty sketchy, and that's why it didn't go into the OED. It was not definitive documentary proof. But for all that Catherine was suspicious of it, it still niggled at her. She couldn't completely dismiss it, and that's because she knows too much about how language works.
1: Australian English has a history of kind of punching above its weight when it comes to colloquial English. So, for example, the word selfie originated in Australian English and then infiltrated the rest of the world. It's entirely plausible that this word originated in Australian slang in the late 1980s and early 1990s, like all of these Australians say it did, and that it was only popularized by the Beastie Boys rather than coined by them. Like, that wouldn't be surprising at all.
3: So, yeah, the first documented usage of Mullet Now Nine from 1994. It doesn't come from some random Usenet page. It comes from the Beastie Boys. The Beastie Boys, the rap rock outfit consisting of Adam Adrock Horowitz, Mike Mike D Diamond, and Adam MCA Yao, who died in 2012, released the song Mullet Head in June 1994. The lyrics, which reference late-stage mullet sporter Jean-Claude Van Damme, Billy Ray Cyrus, Kenny G, and Joey Buttafuoco, get at the idea, still with us, of the mullet-haver as a particular kind of macho sleazebag. They skewer and condescend to a stereotype of lower-class bridge-and-tunnel guys, douches with stonewashed jeans and mullets, driving into New York City to start fights and hook up with underage girls. The song also includes the lines, You want to know what's a mullet? Well... I got a little story to tell about a hairstyle that's a way of life. Have you ever seen a mullet wife? These words are in the OED. The second documented reference to the mullet, included in the OED 2, also comes from the Beastie Boys. It arrived in 1995 in their storied, short-lived magazine Grand Royal, which was a big enough deal at the time to be featured on MTV News with Kurt Loder. The
2: trio has now come out with its own magazine, and it turns out to be one of the funniest reads around. Grand Royal is, as its proprietors acknowledge, a celebration of inside humor, basketball trivia, slang, blatant opinions, and half-baked notions.
3: The second issue delivered on the slang. It contains a collection of of articles gathered under the headline, Mulling Over the Mullet. Its opening essay begins, there's nothing as bad as a bad haircut. And perhaps the worst haircut of all is a cut we call the mullet. It goes on to include a series of mini essays about the haircut's origins and cultural significance, focusing largely on the cheesy white guy mullet, though it has one section called the political correctness of the mullet, which notes its popularity among blacks, Hispanics, indigenous people, and women. There's also a Q&A with a mullet head, a defense of the mullet, and synonyms for the hairstyle, including soccer rocker, bi-level, neck warmer, ape drape, mud flap, hack job, the Missouri compromise, and the Kentucky Waterfall, only some of which were jokes. Warren Fahey is a novelist, but in the 90s, he was freelance writing and running a movie database in San Diego. He'd gone to high school with Grand Royals editor, who got in touch about the project, or as Warren tells it, about the mission.
5: Everyone from porn stars to Superman were sporting it suddenly. And Masterstroke was to uh, tag it with a, a word that would, you know, forever... Uh, hopefully abolish it from the human race.
3: The editor asked Warren to write an ancient history of the mullet, a kind of anthropological satire. Warren agreed, even though no one knew what a mullet
5: was. At the time, it was utterly, completely new and nobody had heard of it. And everybody thought it was nuts to do it. What are you naming a hairstyle after a fish? What?
3: For the piece, he went up to Los Angeles to get a leather-bound tome that he says had been permanently borrowed from the L.A. County library system about the history of hairstyles going back to the Sumerians.
5: I drove up to the Beastie Boys' office. Uh, They had like a half-court basketball uh, court in their office. While I was there, Mike D. actually came in. He had just gotten a wig on Hollywood Boulevard and went to a barbershop and got it cut into a mullet. Um, and uh, the barber, sh- the barber was really upset about it. Um, but he uh, then drove around Hollywood Boulevard in a convertible, and they did a photo shoot for the magazine with him wearing it.
3: These photos would appear in a piece called "I Was a Twenty-Something Mullet Head for a Day" by Mike Diamond, a chronological account of Mike D and the director Spike Jones' day in mullet wigs. With this piece and all the rest, the Beasties were tapping into and crystallizing an already popular sentiment that this hairdo was over. If it had once been rebellious, it was increasingly conformist. If it had once been a way to signal you were an outsider, now it was just a way to pose as one. Yes, it was still common, but it wasn't cool. Tangentially, I think this may help explain one of the odder coincidences of all this, which is that in a period of two years, there were as many songs about this one hairstyle. Please recall that Swedish Hockey Hair song from 1993. In 1993 and 1994, Hockey Hair was in a deeply transitional moment, where it was popular and yet also played out, making it curious, of note in a way it hadn't been for years. And these songs, they noticed. Anyway, getting back on track, if the Beasties didn't originate the disdain for the mullet, they mainstreamed it and its new insulting name. But that doesn't mean they came up with this name. As Catherine Connor Martin said, it's totally plausible that the term mullet came from somewhere else, likely in the slang of some subculture, somewhere on the English-speaking globe. So now I want to turn back to the only subculture that had showed any promise, however piddling. I want to turn back to that lead we left dangling somewhere over Australia. I want to turn back to the elusive 1991 street machine. As far as we could tell, the only stone the OED had left unturned was Topsmate himself, the Reddit user who had originally posted the street machine pages. So we decided to reach out to him. We didn't expect him to respond, but we figured it was worth a try. While we were waiting for him to get back to us, Benjamin Frisch, the producer of decodering, started digging around. First, he tried to find other places online Topsmate hung out, but his only lead were the images that Topsmate had posted on Reddit. Those images were all collected on the popular image hosting site called Imgur, or Imager, depending on how you want to pronounce it, which allows you to click through everything someone has uploaded. Ben started clicking through Topsmate's other Imager posts, looking for something that might give him another username or an email address. And then he noticed that one post had been uploaded three years after the original Reddit post. According to Imgur, it has only been viewed about 300 times. And as far as we can tell, it has never been linked anywhere. Not on Reddit, not on Twitter. Oscar had never seen it. Catherine had never seen it. It had never popped up in any of the research we did for this piece. The name of the post is An Apology to the Oxford English Dictionary. Okay, so hi. (laughs) Hi. So yeah, so I called Catherine back to tell her about it. Can I just like read it to you? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's from April 22nd, 2018, and it's called An Apology to the Oxford English Dictionary. What? (laughs) And it says, a few years ago, I saw a post on Reddit about the origin of the word mullet. I photoshopped a 1992 magazine I had laying around to make it look like it referred to the term mullet before it was first used in print. I changed the cover to make it more Mm. difficult to trace as an issue in the archives and add more credence to my edits. I also edited the publication copyright date to 1991 so it may have appeared as a special early edition. (sighs) (laughs) What? It says, why would I do this? I was a founding member of an online community called Annoy Club, which looks for arguments on the internet and then creates fake proofs as evidence that the person who is correct in the thread is actually wrong. We pick arguments that we have no personal stake in and involve no people we know. And for points, we create images, photos, websites, and interviews with false information supporting the incorrect side. Why am I admitting to this? I recently came across an entry in the OED's own blog, and there was a lot of work by OED staff behind the scenes trying to hunt down the special issue of the magazine I Photoshop Also dragged into it were Stream Machine magazine staff and staff in multiple libraries in Australia. I think they should know I'm sorry for what I have done. I respect the OED, OED and I should not have published the edits that I did.
1: Well, I have very mixed emotions <laughs> to hearing this. I mean... First of all, there's like validation that this always felt sort of hinky, and the likelihood of it being real seemed vanishingly small. And I have to respect the game here because <laughs> those things that he mentions like changing the copyright, so it would be hard. like those were exactly the right things to do to keep that tiny shred of possibility alive that this was real. And and it and it worked, but then also it's kind of sad when a mystery ends.
3: Catherine also pointed out another thing, that the whole thing is pretty dark. There's an additional paragraph in The Apology in which Topsmate says he's become disillusioned with Noi Club because it's, quote, full of people whose only purpose in life is trolling vaccination supporters and U.S. political discussions. He goes on to say he almost died in the 80s from an infection for which there is now a vaccine, and he thinks that the political work is just empowering those who would prefer a confused populace. I want no part of the community anymore. Between 2015, when he posted the photoshopped image, and 2018, when he apologized, Topsmate, like so many people, seems to have been confronted with what it means to live in a post-truth world, one he was actively contributing to, only to find out he didn't like it that much. Still, he only saw fit to apologize in a hard-to-find image gallery that the people he was apologizing to might never have found. Is it really an apology? If you don't deliver it, still, Catherine's happy to have the whole thing resolved.
1: So we we posted this appeal. We wondered about this question: Does the word mullet go back as far as our brains think it does, or only as far as the documented evidence shows? And I guess from our perspective, that that's still not answered. But we're always open for new for new data.
3: <laughs> At this one, I'm just like, you are open to new data, but like, I just feel like. You guys got it. We ne- we never say never
1: in in this business, there're always there are always new things that come up. But yes, I don't think this is active anymore.
3: I want to gently suggest that there was something going on to keep it active for so long. Something besides lexicographical plausibility. Call it a bit of mullet confirmation bias. Because it feels so much like the term ought to have existed before 1994, the OED put out this appeal. And then when evidence of it existing before 1994 popped up, it was taken seriously, really seriously, and then ultimately, perhaps more seriously than it deserved, like multiple librarians more seriously than it deserved. And so many people in this tale behaved this way. Reddit readers, librarians, street machine editors and readers definitely me. We all kept digging because we couldn't quite believe that what we thought we knew was true wasn't true. One thing I noticed is that many of the people most devoted to the idea that the term mullet existed in the 1980s, Catherine, Oscar, Reddit commenters, me again, weren't even fully sentient in the 1980s. It wasn't personal experience or individual memory that was driving our certainty. It was just a cliched sense of the era which was all we had to go on. In this regard, the mullet is a fun, low-stakes iteration of something that is often not fun or low-stakes at all. People's warped but strongly held perceptions of the imagined past and the lengths they will go to hold on to them. So we've almost fully excavated the mullet, but there's a little more to this mystery. If the term mullet wasn't coined in Australian car culture, who actually coined it? Did the Beastie Boys pluck it out of thin air, or did they get it from somewhere else? Honestly, it seems like they plucked it.
5: It was definitely coined by Mike D. of the Beastie Boys.
3: Warren Fahey, the writer who contributed to the Grand Royal mullet package again.
5: Who had mm-hmm. noticed that this hairstyle was, was impinging on civilization um, to a, a monstrous degree at that point in time. Uh, and uh, he came up with the word mullet. And said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to devote an issue to making that word stick. So it was all quite intentional and completely planned um, by uh, super genius Mike D.
3: Now, obviously, I would have liked to ask Mike D. about this. Still would if anyone has an in. Please consider this my public appeal but he declined to speak with us. But Warren is adamant Mike D coined the term, and the Grand Royal piece itself suggests everyone working on it at the time thought so too. The article says, We're not sure where the term mullet came from, but as usual, Mike D was the first to use it around here. If that implies he might have gotten it from somewhere else, the possibilities listed for where he might have gotten it, maybe he was thinking of a muskrat, for example, don't suggest he was borrowing slang from a buddy. Still, Mike was the Beastie most involved with the magazine. Maybe the staff just hadn't talked mullets with the other members. When I ran the theory that Mike D had coined the term by the Beastie Boys publicist, a man named Steve Martin who has known them forever and did the real-life interview with a mullet head for the Grand Royal mullet package, he'd never heard that it came specifically from Mike D. Steve said he first heard the term from Adam Yauch, likely in the early planning stages for this piece. He asked him if it had anything to do with a fish. And Adam said, no. Whatever Beastie came up with it, the timeline supports the theory that one of them birthed it outright. I explained this all to Catherine. This is just fully, like, too much detail. But one of the things that is also interesting is that song, "Mullet Head," Like, it was a deep B-side. Like, it was originally released in 1994 in June as like, an additional track on the single for the third single off Ill Communication, which is to say it's not an album track, but it actually also makes more sense of the Grand Royal piece because it's like this song came out in mid-1994, but it would have like only been for Beastie Boy heads or people who'd bought that single.
1: That's such an important part of slang, too. So like the appeal of slang when it comes out is that it's it's an indicator of in it's an like of in-group identification. So, like the exclusivity is what
3: makes it tantalizing. The other thing that is sort of interesting about um, just date-wise is that Grand Royal, so the issue that has this article about the mullet, which is so much more detailed than the song, is a year late. So it came out in nineteen ninety-five, but it's like famously a year late. <laughs> Oh, like it, the publication process
1: was way longer than it was supposed to be.
3: Yes, and so that actually means it probably had been originally conceived in time to come out with the album, which came out in mid 1994. But then oh my God. you're tying this up to the, to make it so
1: like <laughs> seeming like very straightforward. Well done. You solved the mullet mystery. Well, you had already solved it. That's the joke. (laughs) It was already solved. Yes, it wasn't a mystery at all. (laughs) We just thought it was. It
3: was a made-up mystery. It wasn't a mystery ever. Please bear with me while I suggest there is a real mystery left that's answer also has to do with the Beastie Boys. And it's why do we think the mullet is so hideous? Because we do. I want to go back to something that Lauren Wright, the woman with the mullet who I spoke with at the top of the show, said.
4: You know, the mullet has been deemed, like, traditionally very unattractive
3: and ugly. But for decades, as we have seen, the mullet was not thought to be unattractive and ugly at all. What happened? I think part of the answer is the term itself. When the Beasties were clowning on it, the mullet was reaching the end of its natural life cycle. So everywhere, so mass, that hip urbanites like the Beasties were sneering at it. But that's not unique. This fate awaits most trends. Most styles seem unstylish as they're falling out of style. But that's not when most of them get their names. We don't call bell bottoms pizza pants. But this is exactly what happened to the mullet. Is it crazy to think that matters? If the Beastie Boys hadn't named the mullet, doesn't it seem entirely possible that we wouldn't remember it so clearly? Some random hairdo with no agreed upon name. And if the name changed that we see it, and when we see it, couldn't it also have changed how we see it? Maybe one of the ways this term retrofitted the past is to make us primarily associate this hairstyle with the objects of the beasties' ire, cheesy white guys still rocking it in 1994, and not think of it as what it had been for years, a surprisingly pan-gender, pan-racial, global haircut that had a really good run, but whose time was just up. The mullet, the term blotted out the mullet, the hairstyle, which despite everything meant and continues to mean many different things to different groups of people. What I'm saying is maybe the solution to this last mystery, why is the mullet so ugly, is that it isn't really at all. For the people that really get it and appreciate
4: it, it's a a powerful thing to have.
2: All right, friends, that was the mystery of the mullet. It was written by Willa Paskin and edited by Benjamin Frisch. It is an episode of the podcast Decoder Ring, which is produced by Willow Paskin and Benjamin Frisch. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Decoder Ring wherever you get your podcasts. Endless Thread will be back next year with a new season. For now, I wish you all happy holidays, a happy new year, as we finally say goodbye to this godforsaken year. Pass the eggnog. See you in 2021.